Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we're talking about Don't Look Up. Yes. Uh, directed by Adam McKay. Written and directed, in fact. Yes. Uh, Netflix film. We've seen his last couple, and we liked them both, yes. broadly. Um, uh-huh. We didn't do the big short on the podcast. That was before the podcast we started it. But we saw Vice. Yes. And did that. And, you know, we had our yeah, issues. I, yeah, but, but I liked it very much. Um, and the big short I've watched several times. It's a very easy watch, I find. Mm. This is uh, not based on reality, as those two are. The Big Short is based on the um, 2008 financial crash, and Vice is based on the life of uh, Vice President Dick Cheney. Mm. This is speculative science fiction, Mm. satirical speculative science fiction, based on the idea that uh, an asteroid is coming to hit the Earth, some scientists discover it. We've seen this before in Deep Impact and Armageddon and whatnot. Um, it's coming to hit the earth, but the the twist here is that no one cares. Yeah. It's all about the people's response. It's about the government's response, mm. and people aren't taking it very seriously. The pandemic looms large over this film. In you hear you know kind of COVID deniers and people not taking it seriously, people not wearing masks, people thinking that the vaccine is you know they come out with it too soon, or I just don't believe it, and X Y Z. Um, that looms large over this film. Mm. What did you make of the film? I, I have very mixed feelings, and actually they're a bit reflected by my friends' Facebook feeds, mm. you know, because I have some friends who just love it, right? Uh, and I have some friends who think it's just a piece of trash, really, a piece of preachy trash. Uh, I, I think, you know, this is maybe banal to say, I, I think I'm a little bit in between, yeah? <laughs> mm. I kind of, I enjoyed watching the film much more than I expected to. Uh, I love the actors. I think this is one of Leonardo DiCaprio's greatest performances, actually. You know, it's the first time on film that I've seen Leonardo DiCaprio and and saw him as a regular guy. You know, in the scenes, the first scenes, yeah? Well, he's got that beard and, you know, mm. uh, and he's very heavy and, and on top and so on. And you think, I know people like that, right? Uh, well, I, I said on Facebook that he's amazing in this. You really believe he would ever be married to an age-appropriate brunette? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, all of that, I think, you know, it's true and it really struck me. And I thought he was extraordinary. And actually, I also thought Kate Blanchett and Timothy Chalamet... Uh, were standouts for me. And then the other people, Jennifer Lawrence, no, were also very good. The only one who I still have real problems with, and I realize the problem might be me more than other people because I've heard people praise him to the skies, but I hate Mark Rylance in this. I don't like him in this. I think part of the issue is that um, I don't like his teeth, and you're not meant to. He's got these kind of big fake teeth. and The, the problem is I think the film doesn't stick with it. So he's got these kind of very white fake teeth in, and so is Kate Blanchett. But they're the only ones. And they have this kind of public facing thing that they want to be they want to be presentable. And I, I don't think it's about the fake teeth. I think <laughs> it's about the theatricality of his performance. Every time I watch Mark Rylands, I know I'm watching an actor who's thought through every breath, gesture, every lift of his little finger. Now you Well, know, I, I agree with that too. Uh, you know, you never believe him as a person. Whereas I have no doubt that Meryl Streep or Kate Blanchett or Leonardo DiCaprio have also thought about every gesture and movement. And whatever. But you believe them as people. Yeah? Uh, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio more 
than Kate Blanchett and mm-hmm. Mel Strip, though that might have to do more with the types of characters the two are playing and the level of satire in those characterizations, mm. right? Uh, but Mark Rylance, not for a moment did I believe him no. as that type of person. I mean, I think which it, I think is a major failure in a performance. I, I, I think it's a stylistic decision that is deliberate to do it in this kind of artificial way. But I There's think no it's question. a mistake. Yeah, um, I don't think it comes off. He's, he's, his character is a kind of Elon Musk type, yeah. you know, super capitalist, multi-billionaire who wants to use his asteroid because he can make money off it. There's all these rare minerals in it. We can try and harvest mm. it and so on. But his character, you know, what Elon Musk and to a degree as well Jeff Bezos mm. have is ridiculous confidence. Mm. Um, yeah, kind of psychopathic confidence. And he, he, he doesn't play his character that way. He plays it with this kind of nebbishy yeah. thing. Um, and it just doesn't fit. I mean, I, I think the idea is to avoid doing that, to avoid doing the overconfidence thing, but it would fit much better. No. He, he just didn't do it, and I, d- I don't buy it at all in any way. No. Um, I, I really... Uh, I, I thought it was a, a, a really bad decision, and uh, a, a, not a bad performance, that's not right, but it's a style of performance that I think has never worked on film. <laughs> even when you're doing highly stylized uh, uh, types of work? Um, I basically didn't like the film at all. Ah. Wasn't crazy about it. I, 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 what I posted on Facebook initially when I was watching it was, I'm 47 minutes into this and it's just not impressing me. But it's got an hour and a half left to get its shit together and it didn't really. There were things I liked, right? It's not devoid of pleasures. I really liked Jonah Hill and I thought he was about the best thing in it. I really like Jonah Hill as well. Um, so he plays yeah. the president's son. So there, there is a kind of round satire of the Trump White House yes. where Meryl Streep is the president and her son is chief of staff and that's a total you know, Jared Kushner thing. And, and of course the problem with, with it, and you know, it's a problem with the film, is that what we saw in real life during the Trump years is actually so much worse than anything that yeah. the film paints a satire. Except of course that the film we all die. Yeah. Spoilers. Right? So, if, But it's only in that sense that it's worse. Right? The behavior of the president, the brutishness, the crudeness, mm. the stupidity was all much worse in Trump. Right? So yeah. it's very difficult to satire something but do it in a lower key than the original. Yeah, that's one of the things that kind of came up throughout the Trump presidency, even before the Trump presidency when he was a candidate, mm. was, it was people, comedians and satirists being asked... You know, is this good for comedy and is it not? And the answer that people tended to settle on was this isn't great for comedy. Well, no, initially they would say it's good for comedy because he's such an absurd character. And then as it became more and more real, you settled into, actually, you can't satirise this. It's too absurd. Mm. That's kind of been a refrain for a few years. Brexit has had the same effect on British comedy, mm. I think. Um, you know, Armando Iannucci, who, uh, behind the thick of it, um, the thick of it is such an amazing satire on on kind of uh, Blairite politics. So mm. it's, the, it's a satire of that era. Um, going into the early conservative era, um, to the point where people like in the government would reportedly say, "How did you know that this is how fucked up it is in government?" You know, mm. but then you get, to, but now you're in the Trump era, you're in the Boris Johnson era, the Brexit era, and and Armando Iannucci himself has said, "You can't. What can you do that's any more absurd than what is actually happening?" Mm. Um, that's part of it. The main thing that I realised thinking about it and talking to my brother, who he said he quite liked this film thinking it through in the last couple of days, I realised that the reason that the big short and Vice have worked for me in a way that this doesn't is that those are shot through with scorching sarcasm. 
You know, and this isn't. No, this has no. I this has an earnestness. This has no sarcasm. This has an earnestness that, yeah. but that essentially comes from the two main characters, who are the scientists Leonardo DiCaprio mm. and um, uh, Jennifer Lawrence, who are very keen for people to know that this is real. Although, you know, certainly um, Leonardo DiCaprio kind of succumbs to celebrity in a way yes. as well. But ultimately, like they're 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 an earnest pair of characters. They're more real, mm. and I don't think it works. Um, and it's not to say that that was absent in the other films. Certainly in the big short, you had that moment with Brad Pitt telling off two young investors he was working with. They were celebrating that they'd made this great big bet against the American economy. And then he tells them off saying, if this bet comes off, loads of people lose their jobs. And you and I are both a bit kind of, Ugh, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit earnest and it's a bit, um, you know, kind of, this is our values. But, actually, here, but here it's throughout. Yeah, but actually those earnest moments are some of the moments that worked best for me in the film. Like, in I this think, one? Yeah. Mm. I think the the moment with uh, Timothée Chalamet, whatever. Timothy Chalamet. Chalamet. <laughs> it, you know, where he said grace. Yes, yeah. I did like that. I like that. And then the moment at the end where Leonardo DiCaprio says, we didn't know that this was the good life. Yeah, that kind of, they have their coffee, they have their mm. pie, they're warm, they have drink. Yeah, that this is we a good life. We didn't know we have everything we needed. Or yeah, something. exactly. Yeah. Something like that. I thought that was, you know, those were two wonderful moments in the film. I didn't mind the second one. The first I did like. Mm. I thought it was, it was surprising, actually, how much it worked, mm. I thought. But then, it, you know, that's, that's where they're all sitting around the table trying to have this final normal dinner mm. before um, the world is destroyed. And I, I thought just the, the whole destruction, that sequence, generally speaking, was quite badly handled, I thought. I mean, I, I immediately compared it in my head to the end of Melancholia the Lars von Trier film, mm. which is about Kirsten Dunst is depressed and, yes. and the, the asteroid is coming to hit Earth. No, and the I end of that was extraordinary because I it's just it, in yeah. your face and you, it, there's no escaping from that and it's so intense. Mm. This doesn't have... No, any, I, well, I mean, I think this is middle-brow cinema, right? So what I value about it, you know, so some people are saying well, it's so banal and predictable and, you know, we've seen all of this before. And I think, okay, you know, on the one hand, that's true. On the other hand, Whatever you think about it, this is a mainstream film about ideas that functions in the old-fashioned way, right? Because if somebody like Pauline Kael said, cinema is America's national theater. It's where ideas about the state of the nation, who we are, and what a good life is, and it's where those ideas get debated. We haven't had an American film about the state of the nation or kind of in a long, long time. And I think this is one. Right, and I think the end result of it is that people are discussing all of those issues. Yeah, you're seeing it online. They are discussing kind of the ideas of the film is about. I think they're already discussing them because the film isn't actually about anything particularly new or novel. It's about what we're already all talking about. And one of the problems I have with it is that it it's it's just a lame half-assed parody of the way in which we're already living. Well, you know, Oh yes, we're all online all the time, we turn everything into a meme, you know, we can't take anything seriously, we can't believe anything unless we see the asteroid in our face. Well, but, I think what the film is doing is, is telling you the nefarious uh, effects of that. Yeah, so, and I think it's dramatizing it in ways you know, that actually are a bit heavy-handed, the whole thing with <laughs> Ariana Grande and the boyfriend and, you know, but I also think we can't allow ourselves to think that, you know, we're in a bubble. I mean, we, we are in a bubble, right? So I think that there's, you know, a large part of an American audience who does not necessarily see these things this way, mm. for whom this film will give something to think about that would not necessarily be new to them. Mm. 
That's a very, you know, how do they play in the Midwest? <laughs> <laughs> it might be very patronising to say that. I'm not I do sure. know what you mean. I do know what you mean about that. Like, I've said something similar about um, Guy Ritchie films before mm. and how they play differently to, you know, sort of cab drivers. Well, <laughs> the thing is, I love Guy Ritchie films, except the last one is just, I couldn't watch it. I couldn't finish it. You know, he's got a new film with Jason Statham on uh, uh, Amazon Prime. No, and no. I love Jason Statham and I love Guy Ritchie. And it was just unwatchable. I didn't know he had... What's it called? I forget. Look it up. Wrath of Man. Wrath of Man. Never even heard of that. Is it straight to straight to streaming? Yeah, yeah. Mm. And a big budget. Jason Statham stars as H, a new cash truck driver in Los Angeles whose thwarting of a robbery leads to his skill set with guns and mysterious past being questioned. You see, it's exactly the kind of film I would love. It's like a little <laughs> bit like... I thought it would be like Criss Cross, yeah? The Sealed Mac film. And it's not straight to streaming. It's, it's made $104 million at the box office. Oh, really? Yeah, on a $40 million budget. Oh, wow. That's that's a big hit. Well, the action scenes were praised, apparently. Did you get as far as an action scene in it? Yes, yes. No, I saw it almost until the end. Right. So that's how bad it was. I gave, <laughs> I gave up on it after having invested an hour, uh, more than an hour. Fair enough. Um, so, sorry, I got distracted. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, the whole thing with the morning television... Of which, what's his name, by the way? Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry, I thought, was very good mm. as well. Uh, and uh, Kate Blanchett was wonderful. Like, it really does evoke all of that American kind of superficial morning TV. And we all know it's superficial. And we all know it's phony through and through. Mm. And yet, that is still kind of the dominant mode of discourse. And actually, it did make me think. You know, because I was thinking about my childhood. And not to romanticize it or anything, because actually television in my childhood was shit you know like you you're driven by nostalgia to see all of these things that you used to love as a child and really after a few episodes of the sunny and share show or <laughs> the bionic woman or you, you you know whatever you turn them off because they were really bad right yeah. like, you know but there was a seriousness to the news yeah that kind of um doesn't exist i think uh anymore you know there's an, a, a seriousness a thoroughness and an accountability, right, to all the news programming uh, that you don't see in, on, in American television anymore. So, so I thought that was a, like an interesting kind of, you know, contrast. Now, you know, dramatic drama on television has gotten so good. And, you know, uh, news and reality programming have become a farce, right? Like morning television, the news program, yeah, the, the level of stupidity and the lack of intellectual depth and actually even reporting skills in that kind of, you know, in those areas are really shaming. Uh, so I, I think the film really captured it, uh, you know, mm. uh, beautifully. Yeah, I mean, I, I just I feel like I've, I've really seen this. You feel I, you I, know that it's not speaking to you. Well, no, it's, I've, I've seen exactly this parody. I don't see what it's offering that's different. You know, I, 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 I can see why it's there, but it just felt like Saturday Night Live level sort of insight to me which is to say not insight at all just dress up no I, I, I don't agree with that I mean I think it's you know it, it was sustained you know uh, and it touched on different areas you know from uh, entertainment news television celebrity culture mm. you know Twitter uh, you know that discussion of how the various issues on the morning show had trended 
right? You know that there are discussions like that. You know that those discussions, in fact, then drive content, right? So kind of, uh, we know all of that, but kind of to see it all dramatized together, I think it's not without value. No, I suppose not. I'm just a bit... <laughs> no, yeah, I, 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 it's, it's just it's not for me. I think also what people are missing is, you know, the pleasure in watching these performers do this type of thing. I mean, I think they are some of the greatest performers of the age. And, you know, they 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 give the money's worth, really. I mean, uh, DiCaprio was amazing. Jonah Hill was amazing. You know, I thought Timothy Chalamet, for all of the jokes that particularly heterosexual men of a certain age make about him, uh, is here to stay. He shows he holds his own against Jennifer Lawrence, mm-hmm. right? They work well together. He's very believable as you know, uh, her lover, uh, and he's funny, and, you know, you also get a sense of who that character is. Yeah, he's terrific. He comes so, with, well, my brother told me, he said, Chalamet is fantastic in this. Yeah. And and so part of the film, I was never going to turn it off, but part of the film was waiting for him to show up, which I didn't mm. realise would take so long. He's only in it for the last hour. Um, and he shows up and within a second gets a laugh because the way he delivers his first line. You know, he said, like, I'd like to buy these sunglasses, please. Or, yeah, he says it in this playful way that a kid mm. would say it, you know. And immediately, he, I, I get this guy, and I, I, yeah, I understand him and his friends, and I like them. I want to be around them. He's, he's, he's a really magnetic presence. Yes, and he's, and he's very good, and he's not just this little kind of frail twink. Uh, no, know. he is that too. Let's never forget. Not in this movie. No, I, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, you can't be this frail twink and be believable having sex with Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, I don't know. so so i liked uh you know i thought he was a revelation i thought kate blanchett who was doing a much more theatrical style of performance you know uh very stylized was actually magnificent and achieved what mark rylance could not you know Mm -hmm. where you could see that she was very stylized. Her own performance was poking fun at that type of person, mm. but it was on that fine line between poking fun and also, you know, being recognizable. And actually, I thought one of the film, one of the things that the film did really well, was also provide a kind of, if not an analysis, a dramatization of class in America. And it's done mainly through Kate Blanchett's speech, right? You know, so she's talking to Leonardo DiCaprio, and he's a scientist. And he lives like this, you know, modest middle class life, you know, uh, in the middle of nowhere in quotation marks, uh, you know. And he says, uh, "My dad was a school teacher, and you know, my mom was a, a beautician, you know, who cut hair from home." So yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. He said, uh, and she says, "Oh well, you know, I'm extremely rich. I've got two Monets. You know, I've got four MAs. Uh, blah blah." Yeah, and you could tell that like. You know, everything derives from her personal wealth. Yeah, mm. I speak five languages. I've got four MAs. I, you know, I'm extremely rich. <laughs> well, it's a clear takeoff it's of like a... um, Gretchen Carlson in particular, who I've mentioned before because she was one of the characters in Bombshell. She's a real person. She was mm. a, char- a character in Bombshell. And and what I said you know, about her before is this idea that she's really ditzy on air. Mm. You know, so she was one of the Fox and Friends people for a long mm. time, that, which was the morning show on Fox News. Um, and she would be kind of like, uh, you know, uh, Obama has all these czars in his government. I don't know what czars are, so I googled them, and that was her thing, right? To be stupid on air, but 
she won like Miss World or whatever it was, Miss America's playing, you know, this amazing cello piece. Yeah. And she went to Oxford. Like she's educated, you know, same thing, right? Very educated. I don't know exactly where she comes from, but the point is she's dumbing it down for TV, which is ultimately what the Kate Blanchett character is doing too. She's playing stupid as hell in The Breakfast Show. But not only that, I mean, I thought that basically, you know, you could only be a morning television person in this America if you know, you derive from wealth. It's an Anderson Cooper thing. You're very wealthy, mm. you know, so you, 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 this is your idea of striking out on your own, but actually you could never have obtained that position had you not come from wealth already, right? That this is like, uh, you know, having these jobs is kind of like uh, a vocation, but a vocation for the rich and also a plaything for the rich. Yeah, that kind of, you know, the, the, the poor are not allowed in or the people of modest means are not allowed in to those areas of of play and influence, yeah. And I think the 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 speech in bed, like the get get to know each other speech, mm. uh, highlights that beautifully. Yeah, it does. But I think what like where I, where I was going with was that she she's um, dumbing herself down for America. She's also doing that. Yeah. Um, in the way that you think the film is. And it's good for doing so. I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure that the film is. Actually, I don't think that the film is dumbing down. No? I mean, I think that might be all the sophistication and analysis that Adam McKay is capable of providing. It is interesting, actually. I was talking yeah. to my brother, and one of the things he said was he liked how direct the film was. Yeah. And I thought, I don't think Adam McKay is capable of being indirect. Because being indirect means, in film, means being poetic, mm. you know? Being artistic, and one of the things that really works, I guess this, I suppose this goes to the to the scorching sarcasm thing that I said about the Big Short and Vice is they are so direct. They tell you exactly what they're doing and what they're thinking, and mm. to the point where they even have things come up on screen. You know, Big Short is full of characters talking to the camera, explaining things, saying this is actually real. This one has one moment like that early on where it says um, the such and such Department for Planetary Defense is a real. Mm. Uh, Department of US government and it shows the logo on screen but it doesn't do any more of that I was hoping for more like that, that those are fun um, but what the film ends up doing which is trying to tell actually a, a heartfelt real story about real characters is it demands that kind of complexity it needs it and it doesn't have it it can't do it well okay let's let's pause here for a moment because I think in order for it to be a better film and so on yes you're right right but I think in terms of communicating to an audience you know so what Whilst I think that Adam McKay is not capable of any more sophistication or depth than what he presents us with, it nonetheless it's a message that he and all of the ca- all of the cast feels needs saying, yeah, and needs directing to 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 an audience. And it's true that if you look at America and how divided it is and what people claim to believe, right. It's certainly kind of a message that hasn't gotten through, right? So it needs restating or it needs articulating, right? And maybe it needs articulating in these ways. Mm. I, I, yeah, I mean, I guess. I guess I just have to, like, give up and accept that kind of line of reasoning because maybe you're right, but it's just it's not for me. Uh, the last <laughs> film, um, there, there's a film called Idiocracy, which came out in 2006, um, which was written and directed by Mike Judge, who is best known for, I think, Beavis and Butthead. Mm. And I saw that, because that's when I was working at Blockbuster, and we had that, and I'd look, and I'd go, I thought it was terrible. But it has a 
big reputation. Like people think back on that film, and, and actually they've been talking about it a little bit recently. I think maybe in relation to this, but also just generally. So the idea of idiocracy, the idea is that humans evolve to be dumber over time because all the smart people are smart enough to not have kids, mm. and all the dumb people have like fifteen, and so dumb people spread. And get dumber and dumber to the point where, like in in the film, is set in like a thousand years in the future or so, and um, like Terry Crews is president as like a wrestler, and there's shit like this, and that. and basically what the film did was end up vaguely anticipating weird stuff that more or less came true, like a celebrity president mm. who. who behave stupidly kind of very much came true to Trump although I suppose Ronald Reagan was already a celebrity president so it has its precedence Um, the reason I compare it is because it does honestly feel like the last film to do something like this to try and imagine a kind of holistic um, satirical dystopia the satirical part is important because there are films that that there are lots of films that uh, try to imagine dystopias and where we could go wrong and stuff, but to do so in a satirical way, to do so with a kind of cocked eye view mm. on the whole thing, that's the last film that really reminds me of it, mm. at least in American cinema. Um, I suppose the difference is, though, like I said, in, in this film, it doesn't have the good grace to tell the future. It's just doing what we already know now. I, 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 or every time that, that something happens in the film and then it becomes like a Twitter explosion, it becomes a hashtag, don't mm. look up, do look up, whatever it is. I just thought, like, oh, the point you're making is that we're all really attached to our phones and... No, I think the point is more complex than that. It's, how, you know, how American politics are ruled by kind of... Politics ideas. is the one thing, but I'm talk- that's a societal thing, the, the, the hashtags on Twitter. Where you, like, that's the only impression you get of the wider society. That's the, that's the best impression you get of the wider society. Because actually the film is really focused on the political side when you get into character relationships, the actual mm-hmm. scenes between characters. You don't get a, a, a kind of wide sense like you're doing something like Contagion, of actually how people are living. Mm, I don't know. I, my main problem with it is that it's a satire without laughs. Yeah, it's not funny enough. Yeah. Uh, so, you know. There's a bit in it where they're sat outside the the white, the, uh, the Oval Office. They always are sat outside the Oval Office waiting to get in. And um, and then they hear tell, I think, that the, the billionaire character has shown up. And Leonardo DiCaprio has a line that's something like, um, oh, have you heard of him? He's the guy who bought the Gutenberg Bible and lost it. And I, th- I thought, that is, like, you've had how long to make this film and that's the best joke you could come up with for this <laughs> bit? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. Uh-huh. But nonetheless, you know, what I did value about it was the performances. And I think it's not nothing, you know, to have, you know, to be able to see these great performances by these, you know, amazing performers. So, uh, a mixed bag then, yeah. Well, not for me. I thought it was terrible. Ah, okay. <laughs> well, a mixed bag for me. <laughs> so, uh, and again, you know, just maybe being wishy-washy, but I can really understand why people have really praised it, uh, and I can also understand, you know, why people are so dissatisfied with it, really. Mm. Uh, but, you know, it is, f- well, free yeah, if you if have you... a Netflix subscription, uh, and uh, you could uh, find worse uh, ways of spending... Two and a half hours, almost. It was quite long. It was quite long. Um, um, well, I mean, to be fair, if you just like throw a stick at Netflix, you'll find a worse way to spend two and a half hours. Yeah, so. So. You know, it's one of the better <laughs> things on there, I suppose. <laughs> There's a reason why I was number one that week. <laughs> yeah. All right. 
Uh, well, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter, at eavesdropmovies. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>